Welcome to the Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast. I'm Chris Eggett, the editor of the magazine, and today I'm joined by Tristan Hall, uh, creator of favourites like uh, Gloom of Killforth and Shadow of Killforth and the upcoming Veil Wraith. Uh, we're going to talk about so- solo games today. Hi, Tristan. Hello, sir. How are you doing? Oh, very well, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, would you like to introduce yourself? To the f- the Certainly. Sure. Uh, well, I am Tristan Hall, as you say. Of uh, Hall or Nothing Productions is my company, and we've been publishing board games since 2017, so we're quite new, um, but in a sense, been a geek for uh, my entire 40-odd years, so uh, very qualified in that respect. <laughs> and we've had a few successful Kickstarters under our belt. We're moving into it. We're about to launch our eighth later this summer, um, and we've got various games on the boat or being delivered to backers or available for sale right now. And yeah, and I'm a, I'm a big proponent of solo gaming, so I'm looking forward to this chat. Yeah. So uh, shall we start with the, the really um, uh, obvious question that uh, almost doesn't need answering, but I think, I think a lot of people do struggle with the concept generally, which is, what is solo gaming? Right. Okay. Solo gaming is using games and components to play by yourself in um, an acceptable manner uh, for any length of time. Um, dates back hundreds of years. If you look at the card game Patience, which has been around since 1700s, I think. Um, and it's just a way of occupying your time and sort of employing your creative brain to, uh, to do what we all are designed to do as human beings, which is to play. So um, gaming obviously has moved on leaps and bounds and very much over the past uh, 20 years, 30 years, uh, solo gaming has taken off in a bigger way until recently on uh, platforms like Kickstarter. Pretty much every other game has a solo rule set now. Um, And if you look at the solo sort of game groups on places like BoardGameGeek, the one-player guild, which is an entire guild devoted to people who play games solitaire, is now the biggest guild on BoardGameGeek, bigger than the Dice Tower Network guild. So um, it's had it's had a huge sort of lease of life or, or been given a, a, a new breath of life in recent years, and uh, that's great for people like me who, who play a lot of solo games. And, and people play solo games for a huge amount of reasons. It might not mm. just be because you've got no friends. It might be because <laughs> you work odd shifts or you live out in the middle of nowhere or you're learning a game before you want to introduce it to your mates in the next game night. Um, a, a whole variety of reasons. But um, it's certainly one of my favorite pastimes. Yeah. And I find as well, when I'm designing a game, having a compelling solo rule set is a great sort of way to to play test it you know you don't always need people around that if you d- decide to set up a game at midnight or two in the morning or whatever you can just crack on um and, and get down to it so i try to ensure that all of our games at least have a solo option mm-hmm. where available i mean i think a lot of people have been kind of uh forced into solo gaming recently because of the whole lockdown, the lockdown. The, exactly the lockdown um and, and things like that so there's a lot of people who um who have you know, usually they have a, a normal, I say a normual game night. Okay. <laughs> every every time we talk about solo game, we have we have to sort of couch it in, sort of explaining ourselves somehow. And obviously, that's completely unfair because it's actually because once you've once you've done it once, you realise it's actually quite good. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of people have been looking at their collections and looking for the magical, you know, uh, one to four rather than uh, you know. Um, two to five two to five two to five or or um even worse uh three 
three plus anything oh because uh, it's just yeah. uh, that's a big ask <laughs> yeah. yeah um there's i think i don't think many three plus games have um been released in the recent um in recent months uh for that reason um yeah so people people have sort of been coming to it because of because of the sort of enforced lockdown i think people have been kind of like discovering it as a a, a thing to do as a part as a sort of a way to a way to hold on to their hobby despite the yeah. lack, lack of having um these big big groups that you normally have um so it's almost like it's validated it more for people who wouldn't ordinarily be inclined to play solo games exactly yeah yeah i mean that you know there's a whole argument that print and play has also had a little resurgence because of that um yeah. as well uh which is you know all super, all super interesting but so why why do we like it why do we like it yeah. um because it's, it ticks all those boxes that I mentioned earlier about um, fulfilling your creativity. And it's puzzle solving as well. You know, it's it's working your way through um, a riddle and you're the only person there who's able to to uh, control and own that experience. And they vary, solo games vary hugely um, on whether or not they're sort of a, a more drag kind of Euro type game where you're managing a farm or something like that. So um, certainly... There's a huge resurgence now in narrative board games, which tell a story. And, and, you know, as much as reading a book tells you a story, games offer that uh, experience as well. But you're the you're the hero of the story. You're mm. uh, playing it and and experiencing it firsthand. And, and that's a hugely exciting option, certainly for people like me who grew up in the 80s reading fighting fantasy game books or choose mm. your own adventure books and, and having that sort of interactive literature experience. And... So the, the the whole run of board gaming from you know Euro to thematic games is covered by solo games as well. And it might just be a puzzly card game that takes 10 minutes to play through that you can play 10 times in a row, or it might be a big meaty miniatures on dudes on a map yeah. type experience that takes hours to play through a single game. But the, the whole range of, of games available now are, are being converted in some way to, to solo games. And you know people don't bat an eyelid at playing a video game solo. Mm-hmm. Um, but and yet there's still although less and less so um there is a a sort of kind of a stigma stigma attached to mm. oh you play games by yourself you must have no friends certainly that's something that I, <laughs> that I experienced early on you know uh, maybe 10 20 years ago when i first started getting into uh, board gaming forums online and stuff and and i'd be the guy going oh i've developed these solo rules for descent journeys in the dark and people be like why do you, why do you need to play solo you know just get some friends dude and stuff like that and, and, uh, and slowly that sort of mentality is, is kind of phasing out more and more and, and as you say people who weren't ordinarily maybe necessarily inclined to play solo games are, are being given that option in a, in a way they never have before because of the quarantine because of the lockdown and i liked your the way you phrased it is sort of keeping your hobby alive because mm. if you were if you insisted on never playing a solo game and you were in lockdown and you know you couldn't hang out with your buddies they'd all just be sitting on a shelf and the closest thing you could do is read rule books you know rather yeah. than experiencing actual games <laughs> breaking them open and, and getting stuck in mm. yeah it's, it's interesting i think um, people have a kind of one of the questions is how do you play them as well isn't it i think a lot of people because you, you touched on a few things there you touched on the adventure sort of stuff and then the, there's sort of the puzzly stuff and that is that is really kind of um that that euro game split there with um with the sort of adventure games um and the way i mostly play uh these games is uh i i will set them up and then i'll keep coming back to them like it's some sort of like buffet that i've left out Hi. for myself um nice. so uh 
Uh, but obviously that's because I've got this the availability, a little bit of space to do that. Um, I was going to say, you're lucky to have that space. You don't have to clear it away to put the, the tea out or the dinner. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, um, I'm yeah, very, very lucky to have a, a space where I can leave review games out for uh, more than the... Uh, more more than the play period um but um uh but yeah so that allows me to sort of play those adventure games over a long period of time so we, we talked very briefly before the call about uh dungeon degenerates which is one of my favorite sort of weird adventure games um yeah. where you know you move around a map uh, you make lots of little decisions about um whether you're attacking something or not uh, uh some events happen you change loads of things on the map uh everything gets more dangerous um and uh you might you might overcome the thing you want to overcome you might not but in the end it probably doesn't matter anyway because you're going to get to the probably going to get to the end of your quest for that um that day say and uh then there's a multiple choice depending on what you actually achieved um and so you have this whole like narrative experience that you kind of spoke about um and then the other side of it is um uh things like expedition to newdale which is part of the oh my good series and that's a uh, the euro gamey um we're going to move tokens about a lot uh, and I'm going to do some engine building and then uh, I'm going to look at the score at the end that I've got and realise I've failed to get the right amount of wheat actually. But, uh, <laughs> um, but I think that's right. I think these are the main ways we actually play them, don't we? we, we you sit down and feel, you open them as a puzzle or you open them as a narrative experience. I think, yeah. I think that's kind of it, isn't it? Quite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you mentioned the rules there as well, and making your own rules. I think that probably ties into how you got into solo gaming in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my my elder brother and sister did not share my passion for for board games growing up, and that was most likely due to their experience of it being games like Monopoly and Game of Life and mm. things like that, which aren't entirely 100% satisfying experiences, whereas I was always drawn to just the covers, the Waddington games in the 80s used to have these gorgeous uh, illustrations like Lost Valley of the Dinosaurs and Escape from Atlantis and and uh, these beautifully produced thematic games which were all multiple player of course and so maybe on Christmas day I could convince <laughs> the family to play with me but mm. in between times um, you know and certainly if I wasn't out playing with my mates or climbing trees or whatever it was um, developing rules for these games so that I could play them alone or, or racing you know just playing it as written and trying my best to play either side which is never as satisfying you know like playing a competitive game and like playing chess against yourself sort of thing so um when a game called hero quest came along when i was mm. uh about 11 or 12 it absolutely blew my mind wide open because it was everything i'd ever wanted this huge fantasy dungeon crawly experience and um so one of the earliest things i did with that game was develop a whole rule set that allowed you to play it alone you know and, and take one adventure into the dungeon and mm. and, uh, and have experiences between adventures and go to town and meet people and all, all kinds of stuff and um looking back on that that seems like it's almost a part of my training to, to become mm. a game designer and the in the end i never considered it as such growing up and i always i read interviews even as recently as you know a few, just a few years ago about game designers who'd say oh yes i i've been designing games since i was a kid and stuff and i'll be like that's amazing you know that they've had that sort of uh, wherewithal to produce a, a fully fledged game and then sort of thought oh, yeah i guess maybe i sort of fall into that category <laughs> in a way you know and because it was like tinkering with somebody else's game it never felt like i'd designed my own game sort of thing you know it was just um messing about with other people's rule sets but that's i mean that's as vital picking apart somebody else's game and learning about how it works and 
and the mechanics of it uh, to developing your own games as, as any other skill set. So, yeah, kind of being forced <laughs> into playing alone as a kid certainly gave rise to those experiences, wanting to, to play with these beautiful games that I've been given as presents or whatever, um, but not having people around 24 hours a day to play them with. So, uh, yeah, and and I, I guess I've sort of, like most teenage boys, moved away from that as I got on in my years and, you know, went to university and all that kind of stuff, uh, but then rediscovered a, a huge desire to get back into hobbies and gaming and stuff once I got married and settled down and got a house and child and everything and and um, and so gaming was you know came back to me in, in a big way and seeing how far they come and moved on and how uh, how many new versions of hero quest there are you know mm. uh, was smashing it was like this brilliant experience of, of like wow I've got so much catching up to do and and so got to 20 years later and now publishing my own games trying to recapture those experiences and and, and share them on like my own version of them my own experiences of them that's that's really cool it's, it's, i think we've all done a little bit of that in our childhood that sort of mucking tinkering. about yeah tinkering about, tinkering with a game make or um so i uh in the upcoming issue we've got a little piece on um uh i think it's um i'm gonna say it wrong now it's, i think it's thunder road which is a milton bradley uh mad max style racing game yeah uh, i looked it up and i thought you know i think i made this game when I was a kid, <laughs> I think I made this game with like Warhammer, um, 40k, uh, like bikes and things. You know, nice. Try, yeah, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure I made this game. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but I think we've, I think we've all, all uh, had had like some yeah, little little version or house ruling thing that's gone a bit far, and we, yeah. <laughs> we've suddenly uh, yeah, even as far as. Every family plays Monopoly a different way. Yes, you know, yeah. the, the free parking space means different things to every single family that, that ever plays it, practically. You know, and, yeah. um, and you you develop almost a sort of literacy. I guess if it was cinema, they call it cinema literacy, mm. where you you become almost subconsciously aware of different types of game mechanics and uh, the, the sort of meta of playing different types of games. And in a way, as gamers, we're all qualified to one degree or another. Um, to design games because mm. of the experiences that we've had playing so blooming many of them. <laughs> Maybe it's time now to get a top five. Ooh. Nice. Everybody loves top fives. Yeah. Um, and everybody understands that they vary from one day to the next. Yeah. No one's allowed themselves to be pinned down just yet. As <laughs> actually saying it's their top five. Um, so what have we got a top five of? Top five solo games? That's a good idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. It's came uh, to me. <laughs> the Tabletop Gaming Game Store is open and dispatching orders worldwide. Visit www.tabletopgaming.co.uk to read the reviews and buy the games directly from us. Um, so do you want to kick us off with your, um, I'm going to say five. But... Sure, we start at the, the bottom slot. Yeah, as it were. Uh, although, you know what, any of these games could occupy any of the top five slots for me. But I'll start off with um, Kingdom Death Monster. Oh, brilliant. Okay. And the, the reason it's not further up the list is purely because of um, 
my inability to to play it right now <laughs> like we we moved house and uh, half the house is completely out of bounds and so there's no way i could even set up this mm. monster of a game right now you, it, it's a huge table hog and it's gorgeous and once you set it up it's going to stay set up for weeks so <laughs> it's one of those that's yeah you can't really come to it in, in bite-sized morsels you have to sort of deep dive into it and spend mm. a good few hours just to see any progress but it's absolutely the ultimate for me um example of a kickstarter board game where one guy has just taken a crazy idea been given the cash to completely run with it with no um input from a publishing company or anything like that and has been able to produce a game that's almost would almost through traditional publishing be unsellable but because of the (laughs) nature of kickstarter and the huge overwhelming support that he he had and sort of busting open all the Mm. records on kickstarter he's been able to go away and produce a game that is absolutely lavish the miniatures are some of the best in the world Mm. the world building is insane it's really uh, compelling and it's kind of three games in one you have a bunch of dudes chasing a big monster around a map and trying to kill it you have the hunt for that monster which is an experience in itself and then after you've beaten the monster and ripped its entrails out and taken its fur and everything you go back to town and you use those resources to build your town and uh, make your characters more powerful give them better weapons and tools and it's got a bit of pretty much every aspect of gaming that i enjoy Mm. and it does it all in a very unique very wild very swingy sort of way Mm. but very enjoyable nonetheless you know it's all about rolling d10s and if you get a one you're dead (laughs) and that kind of thing and if you get a 10 brilliant you probably did something really cool um but in i mean that's oversimplifying it's obviously Mm. a, a huge experience like narrative game um and I love it. I'd play it way more often if I had the opportunity yeah. to. Do you, um, okay, have, have you, can I ask the silly question, which is kind of the, uh, I think we, we could call it the Gloomhaven question, couldn't we? Which is, um, have you finished it? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's not true, actually. We did, I got, um, we had a group play of the, of a campaign, which petered out to uh, a, a total wipe out mm. later on by the monsters we lost every villager in the, in the campaign um, and i restarted it solo and uh, managed to play through and, and get to the final boss and and then get wiped out so uh, not a successful conclusion yet but um i'm sure i'm sure there's one in the pipeline for me yeah. but it's, it's it just takes a long to get to that point you know you really have to commit like 30 or 50 hours of of gaming to it and um one day when I've got a man cave and my board gaming space all set up, I'll I'll just leave it out for weeks and, mm. and batter it. Uh, yeah. it. It's a dream. It's a pipe dream at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and also, do you have a favourite monster? Oh gosh, they're all they're all so cleverly and creatively designed. And um, I've got a kind of masochistic love hate relationship with the ones where the first time you play against them, they annihilate you completely because there's a trick to mm. to fight, um, like the butcher or the kingsman and you come up against it and you're like right okay you know we're gonna do this thing that worked on the last couple of monsters and all of a sudden it's like nope and uh, throws you a curveball mm. and you almost have to die to realize how you beat it the next time around and yeah. i think there's something kind of compelling about that way like ah oh, right you know it would either turn you off completely and make you think the game's impossible or in that sort of dark souls bloodborne mm. style make you i can do this i just need to keep going at it so 
Yeah, um, every one of those did. I was about, uh, yeah, I was about to say, um, is is the game that I think I would recommend to like Dark Souls fans the most. Yeah, um, if they can, you know, uh, afford it. Because um, you know, uh, it is, it, it's, it's an expensive game. It's with four hundred and fifty dollars or something. Like I was lucky enough to get it way back on the original Kickstarter mm. when it was, I guess, probably hundred hundred dollars or hundred and fifty dollars oh, or something wow. like that. So to see the prices it goes for now is just, yeah, it's yeah. that's a huge investment. But people, people clearly have the money because it's been so successful. Yeah. It keeps selling out, so uh, it's, it's clearly. Uh, it's clearly going to keep uh, uh, keep some people happy for a long time. Um, cool. Shall we go for number four? Uh, well, following our discussion, then I guess it's appropriate that the next game is Dark Souls, the card game. Oh, very good. Okay. Um, and this ties in to my um, recent rediscovery of Dark Souls, the video game. I guess that's a huge, mm-hmm. been a huge influence. My son is. Not really old enough to play it, but he's dead curious about like watching mm. playthroughs of Dark Souls. Um, so we we have had some sessions where I, I've fired up the PlayStation and played a few levels of it, and he sat and watched it with me and, and kind of got into it. So it's um, and and that's probably the third run through of Dark Souls. Bear in mind, I never I never replay video games, but there's something about the From Software games like Dark Souls and Bloodborne. It's just as you coming back to them in in a yeah, <laughs> but that's a whole separate thing. Um, so Dark Souls, the card game, obviously based on the video game, has all the same lore. And Steamforged, who produced it, um, they're kind of local lads, uh, Manchester lads, who um, produced the Dark Souls board game as well, made this huge sort of miniatures board game of it, which I, I really enjoyed, actually. But it was another one like um, Kingdom Death. It's a huge kind of slug to set up. And it, I mean... A great game once you have set it up and once you've committed your time mm. to it but dark souls the card game pairs all of that experience down into just a, a deck builder which you can set up in five minutes and play through in you know half an hour which is absolutely perfect and for me certainly and it's a really lovely implementation it does some a couple of things that other deck builders don't really do it's, it's kind of like a spin on deck builders but it's also filled with all of the art and the atmosphere of dark souls the difficulty uh, the different bosses, each boss has its own AI deck. Again, mm-hmm. very similar to Kingdom Death. In fact, I'm certain that the Dark Souls card game wouldn't have existed without, you know, pillaging the, the Kingdom Death mm-hmm. uh, monster AI decks. Uh, but of course, you know, that's the great thing about gaming these days is that everybody gets to build on the designs that have mm-hmm. gone before. And so the Dark Souls card game just offers a very um, much more pared down experience of Dark Souls that you can play through in half an hour. It's a really good multiplayer game as well, but mm. it allows you to play solo as one hero, which is one of my favorites. You know, Kingdom Death Monster, you have to run four heroes to even have a chance. Um, whereas Dark Souls a card game, you don't need to be managing multiple decks. You can just jump in, shuffle, and, and recreate that video game experience as one character, which I think is great. There's so many solo games out there that say one to four players or, you know, offer a solo experience and you have to all you have to do is play as though there were three people there and be all of those people and <laughs> i always find that really frustrating i find that like a, a quite a turn off even just two characters just because you want to and again this probably comes from reading fantasy books growing up but you want to inhabit a character when you're playing a thematic you game or i want it um and so i much prefer games off offer you the chance to do that rather than 
managing whole parties of, of people. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree on that. Um, certainly, I, I've recently played the Sandy Peterson um, Planet uh, Planet Apocalypse. Oh uh, yes, I played that solo, and that's one where you have to have at least a couple of heroes. Yeah, um, to play it. And it's not too bad because it's a, it's like kind of a uh, you know big dice chucky sort of. Um, it's kind of. I'm going to say this, and it sounds like I'm being mean about it, but it's kind of a stupid game. In, <laughs> but like, but stupid in the way that like heavy metal's stupid. Um, as in, so <laughs> it's fun. By, by which I mean, it's really good. Um, <laughs> uh, but that had, I was disappointed to know that I, you know, they've got these very complex, interesting characters, but I have to play two of them. Um, yeah. And that's because a lot of the gameplay relies on teamwork. Um, but. Uh, yeah, but the, sadly, I couldn't. There wasn't a way to pare it down so that I could maybe win as a single hero. Um, yeah, that that was a slight disappointment for me because, as you say, you want to um, really follow through on like this hero story in some way. I think it also maybe you know to use the word stupid. That kind of applies to me in terms of playing characters. I don't want to run too many characters. I don't want to have to think too hard about mm. all the different options and synergies. And you know, there are games where that that really works. Like. Um, or, or that is essential to it, like Gloomhaven, where you have mm. to play at least two heroes. Um, I think there are, there are so, solo scenarios for Gloomhaven if you sort of get far enough along. But um, that requires, you know, you having one particular type, of, maybe a big fighter and a, like a, a quick thiefy or magic yeah. user type. And how you synergize between them is, is crucial to solving each level's puzzle mm. kind of thing. Um, so I understand that some games can't offer that option, but the ones that do certainly for me feel more compelling and and similarly with um a lot of the automa type solo rule sets that like jamie stegmeyer's team specialize in for games like scythe and viticulture and stuff the ones that offer you the experience of playing against an opponent rather than having to manage that opponent are are great for me i really enjoy them so you, you play scythe solo and it feels like you're playing against an opponent because you don't have to manage micromanage every single thing that it does you just flip a card and it sort of emulates the experience of what another player would do without you having to you know delve down into the minutiae of what that entails and doing all the accounting yeah. <laughs> the I, bookkeeping. I think that's um so just uh if, if there's any uh, game designers listening uh, who want to do a solo mode um the best thing i think you can possibly do with your cardboard villain um that you're creating is to um make them cheat uh, yes. If they can cheat, and uh, first of all, it makes them an interest, interesting character. Some like um, villagers, you can play that solo. Yeah. The, the countess and that, and she's she's really nasty. And it's a um, it's kind of a class warfare thing. By the time you you can sort of <laughs> internalize it all, um, uh, but she cheats, and um, you then that means you don't have to do any maths for her, and that means um, the worst solo games uh, and. Um, yeah, there's so few of them. It's rude, rude for me to mention any, so I won't. Um, but the, the the worst solo games are the ones where you are asked to shuffle tokens about for um, the entire playthrough, do lots of maths, and then for the benefit of a, a final number that may or may not, ha- you know, be satisfying to you in any way. Um, and so, if you yes, any any game where you're end- endlessly having to move tokens about for no reason when you could have just. Uh, jump skipped forward to the, 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 the sort of satisfying conclusion of that action. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's, that's always something to, to cut out for, uh, for young game designers out there. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you, you, you want the player to be playing more than handling the AI. 
Exactly, and, yeah. And I know there's one game that I really enjoy. I'm not going to name it because of this, but it has your player turn, and then the, the AI turn is probably three or four times longer, and then mm. back to your player turn, you get to do one thing. And then the AI turn, and it's just like, this. It, it's it's too heavily weighted. <laughs> it yes. needs to be the other way around. You need to be doing stuff and enjoying stuff. And then the game sort of does something nice. Maybe maybe just not easy or simple, but mm. something that's quick to resolve. Yeah, exactly. That, that's it. that elevates the situation for you. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Uh, should we have, should we go for number three? Number three, certainly. Okay. Uh, and again, this could probably easily occupy the number one spot, but <laughs> probably is due to the amount of time that I get to play it these days, which is not as much as I would like is the Lord of the Rings, the card game oh, from yeah. flight, which was just absolutely blew my mind when it arrived. Um, because it's my favorite IP in the world. The artwork is absolutely gorgeous. The component quality is fantasy flight. So it's top notch. Um, and you can play it solo. Although, you know, again, you have to be three characters, uh, mm. mostly. So, and going back to the tinkering thing, one of the first things I did when this game came out is develop my own scenarios for it because it mm. came with three in the box. Everybody played those three, and then we were all waiting for the next expansion to come out. And, and that was going to be a few months, and we played it to death in that time. So I designed some fan-made scenarios for it, mm. uh, including one that, that gave you this this tantalizing offer that's in the rule book of being able to play as one hero, which if you did against the rule book, like the, the scenarios that came with the game, you just mm. die. Yeah. You had to have three heroes. So I developed a scenario where you could play as one hero. Um, but even that cheats a little bit because at some point you unlock a second hero. But at least mm. you set out in, in the, the idea of inhabiting one character. Um, but yeah, it just recaptures the flavor of the books beautifully. It's got quotes of uh, Tolkien's all over the, the game. Um, the scenarios are really clever and interestingly designed and there's a billion expansion packs so it's a massive money sink if you're so inclined <laughs> to, to follow it as as I was and, and um, um, to the point where now I have over a thousand cards I don't I don't even know if it's thousands <laughs> of cards probably um, and if you if you're playing it every month you know as soon as like the next expansion comes out you can keep up with that you can tweak your deck as you go you can uh stay on top of the power creep and all that kind of stuff mm. whereas if you're like me and you just want to have it and then dip into it occasionally when you play those later scenarios they are wildly gonna crucify your mm. your deck that you made to, to tackle the, the three basic quests or whatever um so in that respect i don't get enough time to construct decks to play against it there are brilliant online resources from other gamers who've uploaded their own decks some of them thematic some of them just monster powerful decks and um, so you can you know, if you don't have the time, you can just jump on and grab somebody else's deck list and, mm. and play. But it's one of the most uh, creative, interesting, and satisfying games in my collection, for sure. And the fact that you can have a really fun uh, and really deep experience playing it solo is why it will always be in my mm. in my top list. I, I really like that all of these, uh, this, this included, um, all of these solo games include like a huge amount of community. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, which is ironic, right? Because, yeah. you know, you'd think that everybody would just be these sort of uh, parceled off, isolated individuals yes. playing by themselves solo games. Yeah, solo, actually... solo hermits or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not true. Yeah, it's I not mean, true. It's a huge community of people. As you say, the, the one-player guild is, is massive. Definitely, um, definitely. And, um, and the, the feedback on those fan-made scenarios that I designed was definitely a huge stepping stone in uh, my own development as a game designer because yeah. they had... 
uh, like thousands of downloads and uh, lots of really positive remarks. And then when I launched my own first game, a lot of the people said, oh, we're here because, you know, you did those Lord of the Rings scenarios. So we thought if you could do that, you might be able to do your own game as well. So, <laughs> so that was, it was, and it was a really good launching point. And also I was a playtester in, in the early cycles of the Lord of the Rings card game. And that was, for me, it was brilliant sort of peek behind the scenes at how the, you know, my idols did it, mm-hmm. my, my favorite game designers did it. And, and then, um, and, and I had my own sort of, uh, starstruck moment last year when I went to Gen Con and met Caleb Grace, who's mm-hmm. one of the, the lead designers of Lord of the Rings card game. And I was like, no way. And, you know, <laughs> it's like fanboying <laughs> all over it. But he was a really lovely guy, you know, and um, it was it was great because we'd communicated online 10 years ago quite frequently about playtesting certain cycles. And then to actually finally meet him and, and uh, tell him what a legend he is was <laughs> a fantastic <laughs> opportunity. Oh, that's, that's very sweet. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, should we move on to number two? Certainly. Okay, and this is uh, a game that tops tons of uh, solo gaming mm. lists, and it's Mage Knight, the board game. Yes, it is on nearly every list. It's impossible, <laughs> and with good reason. <laughs> yes. Um, I also, when you said uh, it's funny how these games all have like a, a community, I was—I thought you were going to say it's funny that all these games are non-Euro. <laughs> no matter, <laughs> it's not. A, there's an area, or, or maybe there isn't the top spot. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the Mage Knight board game is just epic. Like the the mechanics involved in it, Vlada Javatel, who who put it together, is just a genius in my, in my mm-hmm. eyes. The fact that he did this, and through the ages, the board game, which is my favorite yeah. multiplayer game, is just staggering to me. There's both just ten out of ten games, and Mage Knight is probably does suffer as a multiplayer game just because of the length of time it would take you to, to play through uh, a multiplayer game. I've only played a, a, a handful of multiplayer games over the year, over the years of Majornet, but I have played at least 100 solo games of it. And every time I break it out, usually months have passed by in between and there's a whole thing where I've got to try and work out what ice resistance and fire resistance and cold fire resistance and all those different things do. Um, but every single time I'm... I'm it's set up it looks beautiful it plays brilliantly there are so many compelling decisions it's almost it's almost not a thematic game because it's so brain burning you're not mm. really focused on the fact that oh my amazing is exploring this temple or you know discussing with these villagers you, you're just trying to work out a hugely complex uh, equation <laughs> to solve each turn but luckily it's uh, full of beautiful art and really interesting abilities and uh, monsters and uh, traveling around the different hexes and charting your course across the map and leaving a trail of destruction in your wake and putting your shields all over the map to show, you know, what territory is yours. So satisfying. And then to have the final conclusion where you have to single-handedly take out entire cities filled with uh, doomed defenders uh, is amazing. And, and all of the different abilities you can pull off. And there's always that moment where you're just staring at the map and you're staring at your cards and you're like, how how the heck am I going to solve this? How do I take out this dragon? And then suddenly it comes to you. If you turn that one and power up that one and use this gem and that mana, and there's just so many different aspects to it that you just, you just pull off these killer moves that just make you feel like a, you're playing it in God mode or something. But, yeah. yeah. That's, um, that, I mean, I think that's what, uh, I think that's what we like about Euros generally, isn't it? Um, when you get to, there's a, uh, so um, 
Cole um killer killer combo turns. Yeah, and Cole um of of root fame, he said he said to me uh something like um you most Euro games do this thing where you're you're starting up an engine, it's warming up, it's warming up, warming up, and then just as it's at its very hottest point, that's when you pull the plug and the game ends. Yeah, uh, and that's <laughs> yeah. that's I think that's what you just described there at the end of Mage Like this that huge thing where you're like, oh, I understand every part of this machine. Brilliant, <laughs> yes, brilliant, and we're done. Brilliant, perfect. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Brilliant description. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. and yeah. so capturing that that moment is like a, I think a game designer's ultimate goal, isn't yeah. it? Just the yes, getting a player to feel so elated yeah. about pulling off a move or so frustrated that they missed out by yes. one point on being able to take out a city or, you know, whatever that, whatever frustrations might emerge from not being able to complete the game. But, yes, we, I mean, we will have the, uh, um, like, Eurogamers regret of um, not having <laughs> done something three turns ago. Uh, yeah, now, now your engine's just staggering to a stop because you failed to get enough hay. Or exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I guess we've only got the top spot. Top spot? Okay, so this is probably a little more left field for most people. Um, is Warfighter, the Special Forces card game. I don't know, uh, I don't know this one. <laughs> so this is by DVG, who specialise in um, Dunversion games, do all kinds of uh, Tiger Leader and um, pl- uh, games where you, you're recreating... You're either a submarine or an aeroplane flying into Vietnam or um, and very much sort of war-focused games. And as a kid, my dad raised me on Men on a Mission movies like Where Eagles Dare and The Dirty Dozen and stuff like that. And there's a huge, uh, there's a huge place in my heart for a group of soldiers uh, impossibly outnumbered behind enemy lines against overwhelming odds. Uh, and you know, I read a whole bunch of those SAS books growing up as well, like Bravo G Zero and stuff like that. But uh, just these guys tackling impossible situations um, with guns. And <laughs> so, Warfighter is uh, weirdly. I was designing my own game based on a squad of soldiers being dropped behind enemy lines and having to, you know, move through um, a theatre of conflict and achieve mission goals. And as I got sort of quite far into the design process, and that Warfighter came out. And I got hold of a copy and I was like, this is everything I wanted to design <laughs> and immediately <laughs> abandoned my own game because I, I only design games if they don't already exist kind of thing. Yeah. And and this one just did everything I wanted to, but even better. And it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's hard to recommend to like people who aren't as into that sort of theme as I am, I think, because it sends you into conflicts against, like drug cartels in South America or into, you know, mid- Middle Eastern war zones and things like that. And so some people might disagree with it on, uh, you know, a, a political level or whatever. But essentially you're playing as a squad of either Navy SEALs or SAS or Spetsnats, super soldiers kind of thing, who are going on these missions to destroy missile launchers. And, and you're threading your way through a jungle or a desert or, you know, Eastern European city terrain to take on waves, basically, of soldiers or terrorists or bad guys and blasting your way through them. And it's a kind of a game in two parts. The first part is equipping your team. So getting you have a bunch of points, you spend them on the right soldiers, the right ammo, the right grenades, <laughs> GPS trackers, drones, whatever sort of gear you want to take with you on this mission. And then you drop your dudes onto the first card and you move through a series of locations to get to the final objective 
and and try and overcome it in a, a time limit. Are you still there? I am. I am. <laughs> Looks. <laughs> Sorry, I no. Did, I was, I was just, just absorbing all of that. Um. <laughs> so yeah, so it's uh, it's very. I love that. You, that's that I, love, I love that that started with. I'm not sure how to recommend it to people, and then you had to check whether I was still alive or not. <laughs> <laughs> just the gentle sound of snoring in it's, the background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it does sound very good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It's it's interesting. I mean, you know what? The graphics aren't great. The 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 artwork's not top tier. Um, but the game and the game plays dice rolling. You know, you, you're playing cards to boost your dice rolls, but ultimately it comes down to um, shooting at guys, rolling to see if you hit them, rolling to see if you injure them or kill them, and um, managing whatever ammo and resources you have along mm-hmm. the way, and sneaking, and you know, calling in a sniper to take out a, an enemy RPG team in a, a building opposite you, and things like that. Uh, but it just it, it it's like an action movie. It's like that Chris Hemsworth extraction. You know that that movie on Netflix, and uh, which is uh, you're either of the mindset where you would just never watch that type of film, or you'll watch it with a bunch mm. of popcorn and just be like, "It's rollicking, great fun." And um, Warfighter just provides that experience in in game form, and it does it so well and so proficiently that I just yeah, I, I can play it endlessly. And it's got a, it's got a campaign mode which isn't in, in the base game. It's not even that you know. <laughs> great i'm really really not selling it it's still it is my number one game but but like at the end of at the end of each mission you roll a die to see you know what changes in the next mission and it makes it slightly harder um so it's not like a huge sort of narratively immersive campaign um but there are scenario booklets for it which sort of embellish that a little more and um the combination of different objectives missions and groups of bad guys and groups of good guys and gear that you can take, skills that you can equip your your team with, all of the different uh, combinations of effects that roll into the game and just tick so many boxes for me and just provide that action movie experience in um, a really uh, lovely package. (laughs) That sounds great. There there is the thing that we all do, which is um, we uh, when we talk about our favourites, I find this really hard when I review games I love so much. I'm like, this is a must play. Um, I find it really difficult to articulate how good it is and so i <laughs> i have to and i also feel like i i owe it to people to say there are a few little things yeah you know and in the end it's, it's the standard review mode isn't it it's like compliment sandwich you know even yeah. if you love a game you have to sort of say ah but the bad side is yeah. this and yeah. and for me personally it might not even be a, a, a bad side it might not even be something i notice yeah. or you know it might be something that somebody else has read said in a forum and i'm like oh yeah i could see how somebody else mm. might not like that but for me it's not an issue um, because if you, if you wrote a review and it just said must play you know 10 out of 10 <laughs> it's completely yeah, perfect you just sound like a shill and people would accuse yeah. you of that well you know oh well so so yeah i get why you sort of uh, not you personally yeah. why people <laughs> review games i know you, you, it is me personally as well, just throw so. a bit as well. <laughs> yeah so shall we do um the game that is going to be position zero for everyone Position zero. Yes, beyond position one, which is um, your upcoming game. Oh well, <laughs> <laughs> it, it would be uh, it'd be wallowing in my own crapulence if I was to put my own game on the a top five list. Yeah, but, so uh, in other people's <laughs> lists, it might you know it might be making an appearance in the near future. So this is Veilray. This is a um, in, well intended as a I guess solo only game, but you obviously can play multiplayer with multiple um, copies of it. Would, would you like to sort of introduce it? So. Yeah, Veilwraith is my 
first game, like all of our games have a solo option or can be played solo. Um, Blue McIlforth specifically plays with, solo with one hero. We talked about mm. that earlier about inhabiting the you know the role of one character, um, but also can be played multiplayer competitively or cooperatively as well. Um, and that was all part of the design process. Whereas with Veil Wraith, the latest game, I designed it very much as solo and then realized it could be played multiplayer if more if each player had their own copy of the game. They can play it at the same time and then sort of interact with each other to either overcome um, challenges together or to race each other to be the winner sort mm-hmm. of thing. So it has that option, but I, I would very much uh, pitch it as a solo game because you, have, you would have to have more than one copy of it to, to play it multiplayer. And it is a game that's set after the end of the world. So <laughs> a lot of like apocalyptic dreams about the world ending. And I, I blame James Cameron for having like some kind of nuclear explosion at the end of each of his movies when, you know, when I was growing up watching those. But um, th- narratively speaking, it takes place after the end of the world of Kilthorpe from Gloomer Kilthorpe. You don't really have to know or be familiar with that game to understand what's happening here. But a cataclysmic event has occurred. The world has been destroyed. All colour and life has been drained out of this um, apocalyptic wasteland. And by an impossible twist of fate, you are a creature, the eponymous Veil Wraith, that is sent back into this devastation to try and undo the wrongs that led to this uh, situation. And in that respect, it's probably our most abstract um game like narratively speaking it's it's um it's out there you know it's not a a, a sort of dungeon crawly adventure type game or anything like that um and it's quite puzzly but hopefully quite thematic as well so you are playing through a series of levels or vignettes as they're called in the game where you have to explore this broken world and gather together the memories of what once was uh memories of heroism heroes that have died or gone before and in this world that you're exploring there are evil spirits have been sent by the being that destroyed the world uh, these spirits have been sent to stop you and there are also other spirits that are trapped there either they they have unresolved issues from their pr- past lives uh, and so you're going around and trying to put some souls to rest and avoid the gaze of other powerful beings that are exploring this wilderness um, and what that translates to mechanically is that you are playing a card game, which plays in about half an hour, and you are working your way through a deck of threats that are coming at you every turn. You, you have to use the memories that you have, your own deck of memories, to repel and defeat or avoid or collect uh, all these threats that are being thrown at you each turn. Um, and you have to find five keys to open a portal and escape to to win a game. And if you do, you move on to the next scenario all of the um, threats in the game sort of level up, they escalate, they have brand new abilities, and you can change your memory deck as you go as well. You can upgrade your deck between games to try and pare it down, make it more powerful to take on the new threats that you're overcoming. And so there's sort of a campaign mode as well, which means you could just play the base game, play the first vignette, you could just play that as almost like patience and just rattle through it on your lunch break. Or if you're so inclined, you could save your game between games and come back to it and you know try the next vignette and keep moving up you can play each of them standalone or you can string them together as a as a campaign and sort of improve as you go and um i often find myself playing it for many hours at a time going through many vignettes and with the expansion as well there are up to 20 vignettes that all have their own sort of unique abilities and enemies and foes who are like the big bosses in the game as well so it's um 
for me, it was I wanted to design a game that plays in about half an hour, so Gloomy Killforce can take up an entire evening. Yeah. This is the kind of game where you can just sort of break it out and play it very quickly and by yourself. And and um, it was we had a big discussion about whether or not to launch it during the the quarantine because mm. of the various issues that people were facing at that time and whether or not you know we should be putting people in a situation where we're asking them to buy a board game when they perhaps should be saving their money for food and toilet paper and all that kind of thing. Um, but at that time, Frosthaven launched and made $12 million or whatever, and loads of other games were still going. And I wrote like an essay about the whys and wherefores of whether or not we should, not, we should or shouldn't launch, whilst all these other games were just going right ahead. And it showed that there is still an appetite from, if, if anything, more so for people who, as we discussed before, who have been put into a condition where they're not able to play with the usual group. Um, so we launched it uh, with many caveats of, you know, please don't feel pressured. We'll keep the pledge manager open if you want to come in after the campaign. And there's no Kickstarter exclusives and all of that. And it became our second most successful <laughs> title after Killfall. So uh, so we've had huge amount of support for it. We're in the final stages of playtesting it now and submitting it to the printers and hopefully going to deliver it to backers uh, around Christmas this year. Uh, it looks really good. And there's like that. I really like the uh, sort of um, campaign play where it's kind of a... Uh sort of glacial pace um deck building isn't it <laughs> yes uh, i think you should put that in the box <laughs> glacial <laughs> yeah, pace yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it is yeah and, and it's um there's no deck construction element to it so you just grab your deck and shuffle yeah. but then between games as you say that you, you get to make a, an upgrade yeah. and and they're huge they feel big you know the next time you play a game and that upgrade card comes out you're like yes yeah. and so by the time you get to the 20th vignette that's what we're trying to make work is that the game does it get rolled over by your killer deck, you know, yeah, or that awesome. it doesn't scale up so much that it's an impossible challenge. So uh, trying to get that uh, perfect fit that we mm. talked about before about, you know, either you just win or you just lose uh, is absolutely mission critical yeah. for me to, uh, to get that right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it plays quite simply as well. Sorry. <laughs> There's not too much to think. You have a number of threats that come out each turn and you can act on one of them, um, but you can use your card deck to make you, uh, able to act on more than one if you've got the right combination of cards and stuff. So there's a there's quite a few decisions along the way, but it's not so overwhelming that it's you know you're going to be sat there for hours pondering each move. Yeah, no, it's uh, it looks it looks really good, and it's one of those um, when you described it to me uh, last time we spoke. Uh, there's there's the element of you you you're going to go through your deck multiple times. Uh, yes. So um, yeah, one of the one of the great thrills of deck construction games is that you really get to know your deck um this gives you obviously that thrill um of really knowing your deck without having to actually have done um like hours of working out synergies <laughs> yeah, homework. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, which is which is also fun but um yeah but if you have, it's a, have well, it's a different time, kind of fun yeah. that's like the lord of the rings the card game where you, exactly. have, you have to a huge part of it is building your deck beforehand or even to an extent warfighter it's probably not as complex but you you're building your your characters before you go into mm, the game um and there's there's a lot to be said for games like that but i also like games where you can just pick up and play you absolutely, know absolutely. go Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Is there um, anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, where can people find you? That sort of thing. Uh, thanks for having me. Yes, no, it's been great. Um, we, our website is hallornothingproductions.co.uk. We have Veilwraith. We're still taking pre-orders for it, late pledges for that. And so that's going to be delivered at the end of this year. Our latest game, 1565 St. Elmo's Pay, which is a history game about the siege of Great Siege of Malta, along with the reprint of the first game in our history game series, 1066 Tears to Many Mothers, they're both on the boat from the Princess Now, so they'll be 
shipping out to backers in the next couple of months. And they're both beautiful card games. Every card in the game is based on a real person or character from history, and they play quite quickly as well. But it's one one to two player competitive mm-hmm. uh, games that recapture these famous battles from history. And we have solo bot rules for those, so you can play uh, <laughs> solo, of course. And our uh, flagship game, Bloom of Killforth, and its sequel, Shadows of Killforth, are available now in uh, through our website or through local game stores and we're shipping out immediately if, if people are interested in those those are the big sort of rpg themed adventure games yeah Absolutely. um we uh a recent podcast we did uh with, with alex um uh, a writer in the magazine um we were talking about like messy games games that are really gonna <laughs> really gonna take over your table uh and we're yep. talking about the um the anxiety of uh, of Kill- the, the Shadow of Killforth and Gloom of Killforth games, um, just because of the number of cards you have out and uh, like a, a, if there was a strong breeze, uh, you might you might you might lose uh, your uh, your board slightly. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not but, to be played outside. In, yeah. uh, no, no, not to be played outside. Um, absolutely. But not. yeah, they, they're both table heads. <laughs> yeah. But joyfully, that and that was what we were saying. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, no, that's lovely. But thank you very much. Thank you been fun thank you for listening our intro music is cloud meetings by body in the thames which you can find at bodyinthethames.bandcamp.com uh, you can find us on tabletopgaming.co.uk you can find us on Twitter at Tabletop Mag, uh, on Facebook as Tabletop Gaming Magazine. You can find us on Instagram at Tabletop underscore Gaming underscore Magazine. And we've just launched a Twitch channel, which you can find at twitch.tv forward slash Tabletop Gaming Mag. If you like the show, recommend it to a friend or subscribe to the magazine, which you can join on our website.